Because to be white in 1963, and I would argue still today, is to have the luxury, the privilege, if you will, of not having to know black and brown truth. You can be oblivious to the reality of people of color and suffer no consequence. Very, very segregated country. Millions of white Americans live in places where they rarely see anyone of a different race. You're listening to Your Neighbor's Hood, a podcast for uncomfortable culture conversations, specifically about race. Do your thing, Christina and Jackie. Hello, it's Christina. And Jackie. And we are here. It's Your Neighbor's Hood. I've got Bruce with me. Per usual, I can't record unless I have the studio dog. <laughs> that guy. He makes me happy. I have an exciting what's good in the hood today that tell I'd me, like to tell share. Me about it. So on Monday, we went to something called Your Friend Does Young Investors Club. Is that yeah. what it was? Young Investors and she, group. group. And she brings together young men t- to talk about what finance or? Talk about everything from investing. So they have these principles like investing in your community, investing oh, cool. in yourself, investing so it's in not just money. the younger. In, yeah, so it's all a whole person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and investing in your school. So a lot of that is driven around how do we invest to make money, build wealth in, the, in their community. But yeah, it's it's a powerful program. It was really powerful. And so they invited us to speak and we got to share what a social entrepreneurship is. Mm-hmm. So for some of our listeners, they might not know what a yeah. social entrepreneurship is. Yeah. It's business. It's business. We're business, guys. This is a real business. Um, it's a business where you're trying to um, solve for a social problem, right? So, um, for profit. for profit. Yeah. So it's like a business for good. Not the businesses don't do good, but this is like for social good. Yeah. Um, and that's what your neighbor's hood is. So we got to talk about that. We got to talk about what we do, what a podcast is. And I would say what was great for me was the kids. I just was so impressed mm-hmm. with like, we just asked them some really tough questions, like we about bias, what racism is, how you know how they've experienced bias, and there was just I was just really impressed. The conversation was really good. Yeah, it just lets you know how real this stuff is yeah. for young people. And what and were the, the ages? ages? The yeah. ages were I think up to fourteen or fifteen. So I so think they were young. Some young, yeah, kids in there from maybe 10, 10 12, all the way up to to teenage but yeah it's it's real and they're not ignorant Mm -mm, not at all so they i don't know what i expected but they were just so insightful you know what i mean and they it was like they really had a grasp on what we were doing and the importance of it Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that makes me happy or sad you know what i mean because it's like on one end to me it's like it's sad because this we deal with really heavy topics but the other end it was like it was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, they're just so aware. Yeah. Well, they live. I mean, they, they live it. They live it. So a lot of them, the, all the boys were young black boys. Right. And I'm sure um, have had a talk or an experience. Well, we know have had an experience one way or another. Yeah. Another. And I was sure and that so, was powerful, too, yeah. was like hearing the young black men talk about their experience with bias. And, you know, it'll, it never ceases to have an impact on me because it's just this would never happen in a white school. Young white boys would never have these conversations. Yeah. Be aware. Of well, them. these types of conversations. Not these types. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they I they wouldn't know. experience bias this way. Yeah, and I think it just depends on where you are. Because there, I mean, I remember there was a woman, you know, saying her son was the only European American kid in school, and the things that he had to deal with. I just think when you put people together, you're going to get bias, and we have to recognize the difference in this time this day and age of what the difference is between a bully and a flat out 
racist, right? Or someone who is his bias, and so they, that there's so many layers to what they're experienced nowadays. Because I think for me growing up, it was black or white. It was mm-hmm. like it, it, you were you were this or this. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk in bias. We didn't talk about these sorts of things. It was just if someone does this, then this is who they are. So it's very interesting and nice to, for them to talk about when we talked about their own experience, mm-hmm. but we also talked about the old biases that we have. Right. When we talked about how we share that with people and how we help people walk through those biases, we told them, um, yeah, and, and I think they were really open to it. Yeah. And they were really fascinated. And they I think. knew a lot of history, which was interesting yeah. to me. Not a lot of history, but one of the boys in particular connected his bias to history, and I thought that was really, yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, that was, it was great. It was good. That was what's good. That was really a highlight of my week, I oh, think. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. So, what about you? So this past week, I got a chance to go to a local school that um, helps kids in the public school system and like provides them a private school education, mm-hmm. but for free. But oh it's yeah, kids in the you know you have best. I just I'm I am because we're into social entrepreneurs. I really am fond of finding people that are just trying to do good. So I got a tour of this school, which was amazingly great. It was like a lot, a lot of fun. I went to a workshop for this is gonna sound nerdy but it was for like um city codes and you neighborhood. are you're nerdier than me that <laughs> city is, codes and neighborhood standards not sound like fun. it was so much fun you it liked so it. Much, yeah, yeah, yeah it was good because you got to learn you know what is a code violation what isn't and okay. what how do you establish a culture in your neighborhood oh well, that part interests yeah, me yeah it okay. was it That's was cool. nice i don't know if i'd get and down to the numbers it was no it was oh, nice okay. it wasn't down to numbers it was oh, okay. just knowing what and it was people from all different parts of the city which was nice um and a one particular civic league meeting but it, i enjoyed it it was a good time because they gave us like these bird houses Aww. it was like uh i can't think four or five bird houses and you had to find out like guess what the code violations were for the bird bird oh houses. my god so this it was really cool yes. to the it, max. Is. it was okay. cool yeah so some of the bird houses had overgrown grass okay some of them had cars that were parked on the lawn and okay. it was like you had to pick out the code yeah. violations it was it you was, guys know we're civics people if you haven't guessed. it was great it was great your inner civic nerd was happy yes oh well sad part is my oldest citizen um left for his first flight by himself oh that's right i was yeah. wondering where he was he's he is gone to chicago how are you feeling about it i'm feeling great he made it so it's nice good and, um, were you nervous of course yeah because you just don't know it's some the first time he's was he doing, nervous absolutely he Aww. said mom i got on the plane and i cried but I'm okay. Aww, he did? Yeah. What was he crying about? Just, Just all of it? Nervous. It, yeah, it's a lot. It's Flying a lot is a it. lot. Yeah, it was a and lot. And he figured, could, could you walk him through the gate and everything? Yeah, I that's got to good. get a security pass, and my mom got a security oh, that's pass, good. and she picked him up. But I just, for him to be old enough to do this is really right. Does that feel weird? Yeah. I'm too young for a kid to be this. Um, which some people would say that the guy we talked to is too young to be doing what he's doing. What? But he's not. Oh, good transition. Yeah. I was like, who? Yeah. <laughs> so this week's episode is with Delegate Jay Jones. He was kind enough to give us his time. Um, and he is a delegate in Virginia. And he recently gave a speech on the House floor about race. Yeah. So it was interesting because he talked about a lot about how this was a part of Black History mm-hmm. Month. And it 
if y'all know, we in Virginia. So Black History Month was really not Black History Month for in the state of Virginia. Yeah, what did someone say? We need a do-over. We need a do-over. A lot of the blackness are calling February for a do-over. was horrible for Virginia. Yes. For so yeah. he was great in the sense of we talked about legacy and his family mm-hmm. with politics. What else? Legacy, we talked about the two different uh, Virginias. Yes. So there's a black Virginia. So on the floor, he t- his father was a legislator. And so, um, and Jade, we didn't say he's African-American. Did we say that? Yeah, no, but he, he, he is. He's African. African. Yeah. And so we talked about what two different black Virginia or Virginias, like there's a black Virginia, there's a white Virginia. Yeah. And what does that look like? Yeah. Um, we even talked to him about, does he ever, because Jay is a lighter skinned gentleman right. who comes from a very, if we talk about the black benchmark and things like that, it's a very different background. Mm-hmm. And does he feel black enough? Mm-hmm. Um, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And I think all of his answers to these things and more legislation and everything was very interesting. And it I was, think people it was, are really going to enjoy Yeah, it. I think so, too. So. I um, I just loved hearing his perspective. And I love – and what I love is that he shared his story. I think the so one moment that got me was we talked about the different lived experiences of our grandparents. And it just really touched me. Um, I look forward to you guys hearing that one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was good. So – so you're dropping in on an interview with Delegate J. J. Jones. Enjoy. Mr. Jones. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Yeah. We really, we appreciate you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We're excited to have you. So basically, we're just going to dive right in. Yeah. The um, premise of just back to why we decided, I think Christina kind of touched base on you as to why we extended, we wanted to have you on just to kind of bring your voice into the the uncomfortable conversations, one that you recently had to have on the floor, floor, right? Mm -hmm. So do you want to dive into why you even made that decision? Like why walk us through that and then kind of walk us through your family's history as well. So yeah, sure. I mean, well, thank you guys for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm so appreciative of what you do and how you're driving this conversation because I do think it's something that we need to have and, and we need to have it more often. But, uh, you know, you, it's uncomfortable, but I think it's going to lead us to productive places. I made that speech uh, in part because it was Black History Month. And every day we usually have a different speech or two about um, certain moments in Black history. Uh, and my speech was scheduled toward the end of the month. And as I was sort of contemplating what uh, to speak about, you know, we had gone through a little bit of uh, turmoil, to put it lightly. Uh, at the state capitol and not sort of get away from saying something that would sort of reflect uh, the situation as I saw it uh, through my eyes uh, when talking about my family uh, and our experience as, you know, as Black Virginians over the course of several generations. So that sort of became the foundation uh, of the speech and worked on it for a little while, debated whether or not it was really the right thing to do at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, after consulting with, you know, my team and some other folks who I trust figured it was probably a good moment or as good a moment as any. And, and it sort of led us to that that point. And so I guess 12 or 13 minutes later, people seemed to um, respond to it in a way that I think was positive and, and really sort of accomplished the goal, which was to facilitate this conversation and to really uh, get people to understand um, the history of, of Virginia as it relates to race. So why were you apprehensive about even doing this speech? Because there were there was nothing really negative in there. So well, you know, you, you you wonder whether as a first term legislator that you're the person to say something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I had been listening over the course of the month of February, and people had not sort of attacked that 
um, topic in that sort of manner. And so I felt that it was maybe out of line for a young guy to do that. But I think what really was important to me was to, to let people know that the issues that we have as it relates to, to segregation and institutional uh, racism and oppression did not stop with the Voting Rights Act or the Civil Rights Act in the 60s uh, and then the sort of subsequent generation in the 70s. You know, I'm 30 uh, and I still go through this stuff all the time. And I suspect, uh, unless we get our act together and start to confront this stuff head on, that my children uh, will go through the same same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard we're going to get a Black History Month do-over in June. You know, there's talks. <laughs> Is there that really? That's there's a lot, of, a lot of activists are like, we need to redo Black <laughs> History Month. It was. I would not, hope that we get a Black History Month every month. You know, yeah. The contributions of, of Blacks to, to not just Virginia, but this country are, are numerous and, and deserve to be highlighted all the time. And yes. As I said in my speech, you know, that we've been operating on sort of two parallel tracks that come together every so often. But if we're on the same track, we could acknowledge both the accomplishments and achievements of Black Virginians just as we celebrate the achievements of White Virginians, too. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Can you, I did want to, can you speak to that, like the two different tracks? Because I know sometimes you did say something that I loved in the beginning. It's like the white people were allowed to have this luxury of being surprised by Ralph Northam and the blackface. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to the two different lived experiences. Can you speak to that? Sure. You know, I I have, was speaking really from my life experience, but I went to schools in which I was one of uh, the only black faces in the classroom. And, and so you really get to examine the two different existences that um, folks have. And, and I think it's really easier to explain it in a way through a conversation that I had with a legislator afterwards who said, you know, I have just tried to live a good life and do right by people, but never realized that what I was doing or the way that I was handling myself might have impacted folks in a different way. Uh, and when you do not have to confront some of these issues, whether it's a slight, whether it's a slur, whether it's being treated differently, you know, you never really think about it in that way. And I think part of what I was trying to do was to sort of encapsulate what one Black experience in Virginia has been like through my family, because as I said, the Black experience here is not the same. It is not homogenous. It's it's not monolithic. We have different types of experiences, you know, even in the city of Norfolk. And so there are certainly people out there who were definitely surprised that this was a a thing. You know, I think some of us are more attuned to it than others, but when you never have to sort of confront that issue, it makes it really easy to just let it go and not even think about it. I think that's with many issues. What's funny is Christina and I were just having a conversation specifically about, not gerrymandering, but we were talking about um, gentrification. Oh, uh-huh. And it was tough. Yeah, I could, tell, I could see yeah, in your face. Hard. It was hard to have it, but about you know, I can see the benefits of making great neighborhoods. I just want to make, what did you say? I can't remember what you said. Oh, I just didn't didn't understand why it was bad to bring in business. Yeah. And so like, I kind of to the effect of what you're saying, the guy's like, I'm just trying to do good by people. And like, when people have these models of, of changing neighborhoods, you just want to make good neighborhoods, but then you don't get realized that in the process of making good neighborhoods, you're hurting a specific brand of people. And it sounds like kind of what that legislator was saying. Yeah. You know, and, and he, and he was, he's a fantastic guy and he's a friend of mine. And he, you know, I just never, you know, thought of it in that context. And and I think that was one good thing that came about from the speech. I was going to say, so you mentioned your father being, your family being a big influence. Can you speak to him? I know you, in your speech, you talked about like how on the floor, he gave a speech about a Confederate flag on a car. Can you tell that story? Yeah, the parallels. Yeah. 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 There is a weird because my speech was exactly 20 years after his speech. Wow. Okay. You know, giving some context about what he was talking about 
when he was in the legislature and it was 1999, there was a bill to put the Confederate flag on a license plate. You know, we have these bills that come up every year. If you get 400 signatures, you can get a you know, vanity license plate with a little flag on it or with a school on it or with a mm-hmm. charity or, or whatever it may be. Uh, and it just so happened that back in 1999, there were folks who wanted to put the Confederate flag on a license plate. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard people say, well, it's heritage, not hate. Um, and there is just no way to contextualize that for people who aren't of that heritage, because it really does come to symbolize hate. And it has come to symbolize hate for over over 150 years. But he, he gave this speech and he was debating a bill. And it wasn't a morning hour speech like mine. But, um, you know, he drew upon some things that he had seen in his life, you know, as a young boy. When he was on a bus and he saw a, a cross burning and some white hoods off in the distance as a six-year-old, I mean, I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can feel then how he has carried it with him now. He's you know, almost sixty-five, uh, and I think people that day on the floor felt that raw emotion that he was describing. Absolutely. And when he made that speech, I think I was nine, maybe almost ten, and and it was on the front page of the paper, and, and people were you know giving him all this praise. But you know, we received a whole bunch of hate mail. You know, people figure out where you live. They figure out things about you and they send you these very awful letters and pictures and you know, they have vulgar things in there. And as a kid, you're very confused. And I think a lot of folks walked away from my father's speech much the same way they did with mine. I said, well, gosh, if it can happen to Gerald, you know, or it can happen to Jay, then there must be a real problem. Yeah. When I gave my speech a couple of weeks ago, I got a whole bunch of letters from people, not in a negative context so much, but from former legislators and people who were on the floor with my dad back in 1999. And they said, gosh, you know, you did a fantastic job. Your dad did a great job. But the fact that we're still having these conversations yeah. and still talking about this stuff shows that we haven't made, you know, made that sort of progress that we had all sort of hoped for. And so, you know, he and I certainly have a shared experience in a lot of different ways, but I'll be the first to tell you, I can't even begin to think that I could have endured what he did as a kid growing up and what my mother did as a kid growing up or their siblings or, or, or you know, my grandparents for that matter. And so, you know, I don't want to sort of you know, say that we have, we're the same because we're not, because I think while things are a little bit better, um, it was really, really rough for them, you know, growing up in the height of the, of the civil rights movement segregation. And you touched on your grandparents and mm-hmm. just the way that they lived different and your grandpa struggled to get a law degree and couldn't get the books and couldn't get hired. There was just such a contrast to me. And I think our listeners can, because we have a lot of, you know, white listeners, pretty mixed crowd, but it was so striking to me because we're the same age. I don't have that experience with my grandparents, you know? And so this is the first time that I'm even thinking about what it would be like to have a grandparent that went through that. Can you speak to your grandparents' experience? Sure. You know, I was really lucky to have grandparents who loved me and who I got to get to know as a child. You know, my uh, mother's parents died when I was in my early teens and my grandmother, my dad's mother died last summer. But, you know, hearing stories about, about their existence when, they had first come to Norfolk when they were co- sort of coming of age was kind of jarring and, and, and shocking. Uh, and my, my, my dad's mother, my paternal uh, grandmother, uh, often talked about how uh, you know, even though my grandfather was serving his country in World War II, was going over to Italy to put his life on the line to protect not just Black Americans, but white Americans too. Uh, and then you come back and you're given this sort of not so warm uh, welcome, not because of what you were doing, but because of who you are and what you look like. Uh, and he was an incredibly smart guy. I never met him. He passed away before I was born. But, you know, she said that was really tough on him and that he persevered and was able to pass the bar with some secondhand books. And, you know, she said, and I think she firmly believed this, that he only passed the bar because his name, which was Hillary Jones, didn't sound like a black name. Mm. It sounds like a white name. They mm. said, well, maybe we can just let him through. Um, but then <laughs> Norfolk, which was his hometown where he had grown up, 
you know, he served mostly black clients. Uh, and if he did uh, serve a white client, it probably wasn't something that they wanted to have broadcast to the public because it was probably an embarrassment to them that they couldn't get a white lawyer that had a black guy representing. But then in the same sort of you know context, my you know mother's parents were both you know college educators and uh, they taught at you know HBCUs, which we're incredibly proud of. But Part of the reason that they ended up teaching HBCUs is because they weren't given the opportunity to teach at a predominantly white institution because, uh, my gosh, you know, they probably certainly weren't up to snuff and, and didn't have the same sort of you know, capacities and capabilities as their white peers. And I think part of their mission in life was to make sure that my parents, you know, their children, uh, and then me had a much different experience. And part of what you know, I have sort of assessed over the course of my 30 years is that while things are different, certainly not nearly as overt and difficult as I think they had to go through dealing with the civil rights movement and, and the throes of it, there's still a lot that, that remains the same. You know, a lot of the skepticism, a lot of the um, sort of caution and, and a lot of the, the pre, prejudged sort of expectations of who you are and what you're supposed to be. And I think, you know, for me, a lot of what I have sort of tried to do in my life, whether it's the public part of my life or uh, my professional part, is to shatter those expectations and really sort of push back on these commonly held notions of what um, a black person is supposed to be like, supposed to look like or sound like or mm. how they're supposed to act. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got a good so, question yeah, for that. Because, you know, to that, right, because we, we understand, you certainly understand what it means to just have excellence as a person, but then that level of Black excellence that you have to have. Have you ever experienced moments where maybe you felt like you weren't Black enough? Because one of the conversations, the uncomfortable conversations that we have to have, I think, in our community is this whole idea of there being a Black benchmark, not a Black spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you said we come from many different experiences mm-hmm. and likes and I could imagine just me seeing you as a black person saying you know what some people probably tell you you're not black enough oh you know you get that uh from black folks and you get it from white folks yeah uh, you know there's it's almost like you wake up and you're like man I can't win at all uh mm-hmm. and how do I, who do I who do I try to please today and so I think part of what um wow. my family has instilled in me is that you got to be yourself uh you know and, and I know that uh the color of my skin certainly uh, leads people to think one thing about me, but you know my grandparents and some of my parents have always hoped, prayed that I be judged on uh, what is you know appearing between uh, my ears, and and that is important to me. But you, know, you get black folks who who get upset and who who think of you a certain way and and say, well, you're a sellout, and you know you're a little confused because I feel as if I'm only doing what Martin Luther King and Julian Bond and Andrew Young and all of these civil rights leaders wanted us to do, which was to go get an education and to to go excel and to be the best that you can be, and somehow that's not good enough. Uh, and then you're like you get mad, Jay, you get mad. That's right. And, and <laughs> you're like, what? You're like, what? I, I don't understand. And then, you know, you have white folks who say, well, you know, you're not black because you didn't grow up in low-income housing projects and you don't wear a chain and you don't speak a certain way and you're not wearing, you know, Jordans, which frankly I do in my spare time, but that's not for them to know or for them, you know, like right. that. So, you know, you're, you're sort of walking on this, in this fine line where, you know, who really does accept you and who does love you and who does appreciate you. And it's something that I have, have struggled with and I'll be frank with you for my entire life. Uh, you know, and, and how do you walk that fine balance? But, you know, the thing that it always comes back to for me is family, which is why I you know, spoke about my family in that speech. But, you know, those are the people who love you and who've got your back. And uh, whether you're validated by your friends or your peers or the voters or whoever it may be, you can only do, you know, what you know how to do and be who you know how to be. Uh, and if that's not okay with them, then, you know, you, you can't really worry about it so much. And you just got to keep on sort of, you know, charging ahead. Yeah, that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt any less. I'll say that. Oh, there's, there's certainly hurt. 
yeah. and you're sort of used. And, and I think even now you, you hope and, and people talk about it being a post-racial society, but clearly we are not because these yeah. things still matter very much. Such a good point. That is a yeah. great point. Oh, do you still have to code switch? You still find, yeah. Okay. Tell people, people don't so, know that. That's why I was like, oh, well, I'm going to drop it. I know what it is, but pe- yeah, people code fit switching. You, you being able to. Yeah, that, that is something that I think all of, all of us have to deal with at a certain point, mm-hmm. at least once in our lives. And some of us are confronted with this more often than others, you know, quite certainly. And so whether I'm on the floor of the House of Delegates or I'm floor at my house or, or in the courtroom. I mean, you know, it just really depends and you've got to present a certain way. Uh, and, and some people don't understand it and they might not sort of get what's going on, but it's, I'll tell you, it's a lot of energy, <laughs> you know, to try to figure out where who you got to be at that particular point. And it's not me being disingenuous. It is me trying to do what I've been asked to do by the voters or do what I've been asked to do by a client. And then, you know, it's just different than Jay, you know, around his family or around his friends, um, which is, is my private time, but uh, it might be a little bit different than what you see out in the public uh, you know, during the day. During the- oh, well, yeah. yeah, I think, and I think too, that, you know, you say as a kid, you look back and I can do it too with my parents look back and just say, man, it wasn't as bad. But I think just like with parenting, we're like fighting a different war. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I don't know that it's any better or any worse, but it's the access that people have to you with their words and with their hate. It's 24 hours. It's 24 yeah. hours it's right at your fingertips. So it's like, while it is, I'm not concerned about someone coming and burning my house down or painting a swastika sticker on it mm-hmm. or anything like that. I mean, which I, those are things that we deal with as I dealt with as a kid. Right, right. My kids are now having to, have a computer in their hand and I'm like, just don't click on the wrong thing. You know, don't, that that we're fighting a war every single second, the war of of racism, I guess you would say, or just isms Mm -hmm. right at our fingertips, which is so different from our parents. Yeah. It just takes a different form and um, what it, happened in the 60s, 70s, you know, and part of what I wanted to underscore throughout all of this is that, you know, while that happened, you know, decades ago, now things have just switched a little bit, whereas the, the laws were far more overt and people's behavior was, was far more uh, out in the open. Now the laws are a little bit more covert uh, and the behavior is a little bit more underhanded than they have been. And, and we talk about certain things that have been institutionalized in our in the code of Virginia for, for many years. And, and yeah. even just this week, we were back in Richmond to uh, vote on some budget stuff and, and governor's veto amendments. And we, through the budget, were able to sort of suspend the practice of taking people's licenses for failure to pay court requirement costs, yeah. uh, which is just but one small way that, you know, has been um, disproportionately affecting uh, people of color for so long. And that is something that has been embedded uh, within our system, I would feel that by saying that, that it's something that was done intentionally, I and mean, I'm not off base, but there are things like that within our code that uh, have really served to take the place of uh, massive resistance and take yeah. the place of these Jim Crow laws. They're just not nearly as, um, as, as, as uh, in your face. Yeah, so that was a question I was going to have because I think back in January, the Senate was able to kind of get rid of the law for allowing certain industry or certain folks to be under paid under minimum wage, which was yeah. on the books since Jim Crow. And so as a legislator or a minority legislator, which, and you know, you're, you're of the few in there, yeah. are, you, are you now feeling like you have access or seeing, taking a deeper look at some laws and things that have our residue from, from Jim Crow? And well, what are your next steps? That's, that's a good question. And first, let me say that, you know, I think us black legislators, members of the Black Caucus, have, have long been trying to sort of push back yeah. on these things. It's unfortunate that uh, the stuff that sort of 
began to transpire on February 1st has brought this to the forefront so that uh, our white counterparts and non-white counterparts can uh, say, yeah, okay, we, we, we understand this. But <laughs> um, you know, what, what I identified a long time ago as a real issue in Virginia is this, you know, the, this issue of occupational licensing. Virginia has, I think, 50 or 60 um, licensures that they, they give out that you have to get approved by the state, right? Whether yeah. it's a cosmetologist or cosmetologist. Yes. And, 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 and so many of these, these industries, you have to get approval from the state to be licensed, and you are not allowed to get a license if you have a felony um, conviction. Mm-hmm. And that is li- so limiting for people to get jobs when they come out of uh, incarceration after they've done what they've asked them to do, or after they've paid their fines, or they've done all these things, they still, as a, as, a, as a blanket policy, can't get this occupational license. And so to me, that's been one area where now I think people are, are more attuned to it. Um, and these bills probably won't meet a fiery death like they have in the past. Uh, the same thing with expanding access to voting rights. This year, we got early voting, no excuse early voting for a week before the election. Yes. Uh, we'd like to see that go up you know, to a couple of months if we can. But uh, we're we're starting now, and I think we're right now in this moment um, trying to take advantage of all. Capitalize, yeah, and yeah. You know, you don't want to let this moment slip by because it's very easy in today's society, I think, to become distracted by the next shiny thing and and just move on. I mean, look, I'm I'm looking behind you guys, and I see the the Instagram and the Facebook and the Twitter thumbnails, and it's like you know, it is so easy to lose yourself in those social media programs and social media applications that you forget about what is pressing and important because Beyonce has done something now and she's had this Netflix special and that's going to take people's attention away from something that to me is really important, which is the legislation that affects our day-to-day lives. And I'm not saying Beyonce is not important, but um, (laughs) that will capture people's attention and really, and really take away, I think from um, the momentum that we might have. And so for us as a black caucus and for our legislators who are our allies, you know, we will spend uh, the next year as we always do um, trying to find the best ways to affect our communities um, in, in large-scale ways, but also on the margins. And, and I think um, you know, now that we've got folks who understand that we have been trying to combat the sort of institutional um, sort of barriers that we have, we, we have been erected, uh, that we can really make a little bit more progress now. Mm, well, so it even goes even deeper for, I think, um, the people in this room being I'm being an elder millennial, (laughs) that even that is a part of the representation piece that we're dealing with. I couldn't pull stats from this current legislator, but I was reading that, you know, in 2015, the legislator was about 4%, um, 4% millennials, but we were a third of the population. The Generation X was about evenly representative, but when you got to the boomers, they were only a third of the population, but they were like 53% of the legislature. Mm-hmm. So there's that piece too mm-hmm. of this new mindset because we think differently, just humans across the board. But then when you talk yeah. about the inequities historically, some of those historic values are still sitting on the very floor because we're underrepresented. Yeah, that, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask is, Jay, is like, why do you think things are taking so long in the race <laughs> conversation? <laughs> like, is it, look at the Senate, look at the way it's made up. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. I, I think it, to me, part of the reason is because of the way that the system is set up. Yeah. You know, we, we are the oldest continually uh, active legislative body in the Western Hemisphere, 400 years in July, uh, and the system was built by and for old white men. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is a difficult proposition for a lot of people of color and a lot of younger people to get into this game because you have to sacrifice so much because it's yes. built for rich people. 
uh, and millennials, we are still at the point in our lives where we're building wealth, or at least trying to build wealth. Uh, and we, you guys know, like I do, that it's very difficult mm-hmm. in today's world. But uh, you know, you have these barriers that will limit the the type of people who could get into these bodies, not because uh, of an actual, say, you know, bar by saying you can't have black people in the legislature. It's just that it's hard to find good people who want to sac- who want to sort of sacrifice what it takes to be a public servant. And I'm not saying that you know I, I'm not complaining about it. It is difficult, but I love my job. But you're a lot. You're away from your family. I'm leaving money on the table because I'm not practicing law for two months plus out of the year. You know, you have a lot of you know people sort of pulling at you and asking you to do things. Uh, and some folks, great folks, just don't want to sort of do that. And I don't blame them. And so you know, is there a way to make it easier for younger people and, and more diverse folks to get involved. Maybe, you know, I think part of the way that we're set up is good and that we only meet for 45 or 60 days of the year. So we have to get stuff done. And we have to go home because we have to have a balanced budget and we want to address the problems that we've seen in the last year and, and do so in a, in, a, in a prompt manner. But, you know, I think part of, part of it is just uh, we've been doing things the same way for a long, long time. And a lot of folks haven't been reluctant to challenge the status quo. But what I was so excited about when I came in, in in January of 2018, is that the people who you know, came into my class, there were 19 new freshman delegates, and that's literally one-fifth of the House of Delegates. That, that's, a, that's a huge turnover. Uh, there were more people of color than we've ever had. There were more women. The Democratic mm-hmm. caucus you know, has uh, 24 members are female of 49, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we've got a sort of rainbow coalition. And then even on the Republican side, Emily Brewer from Suffolk, she's 34. Um, John McGuire is a younger guy. Bob Thomas is, I think, 40-ish. I mean, I think what you're starting to see is a little bit more turnover. And, and I think you're seeing the sort of fruits of the investment that folks have made over the past couple of decades of getting younger folks engaged. Um, so, I, so I'm encouraged, you know. And, but again, it takes a lot. And it takes a lot to give yourself, whether you're doing school board or city council or the state legislature or Congress, um, I think anybody will tell you that it, it is really uh, an investment of yourself, and it, it takes a lot of people around you to, to sort of sacrifice on their end too. Thanks. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So we're about the work in your own backyard, yeah. right? It's about yeah. it's, these. It's not about changing the world. It's about changing your world. And we teach people on an individual basis that mm. no one's going to change the world, but you can change your block. You can change your whole neighborhood right around the corner. Um, and mm. so one of the things that is changing, hopefully, are our districts and, yeah. <laughs> and, and things like that. And so uh, with the upcoming census, because everybody will be dealing with that here pretty soon, I, I'm going to have you talk, maybe talk to the importance of people really doing the census and actually why that matters on the grand scheme of things of truly making change in your own backyard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a, that's a great uh, sort of question. And and thank you for leaving it open-ended so I can sort of talk about a couple of different things, but uh, obviously the census is a federal process, but the state has some involvement in this and I was getting a complete count is important because it really does have an impact on the representation about how many congressional seats you're going to have about where, the district lines are drawn, and uh, traditionally, the folks who have not been counted or the communities that have been undercounted are of color mm-hmm. uh, in lower areas and rural areas. And so, you know, Virginia has uh, a lot of vote. Uh, this really will have a, an outsized impact. I do believe that based on Virginia's population growth, we are in a good good position to gain a congressional seat uh, to go wow. from 11 delegation to 12, which means that we have 14 electoral votes instead of 13, wow. becomes, which becomes an even bigger deal. This will have an impact on where the districts are for the House of Delegates in the Senate come 2021. 20, uh, uh, for me, as someone who's from an urban uh, area, I mean, that's really important because we have much more compact 
districts and we want to make sure that everybody's counted so that we're putting people in districts together that have certain common interests and that are contiguous. Uh, and so this is an important process that, you know, I've never been through it as a legislator, only filled out my census data when I was in college, you know, 10 years ago. And so I know that, you know, it's important to be counted, uh, but it does have sort of outside ramifications that will be on the books for the next decade. Yes, for 10 whole years, y'all. So if you get that little note that's saying, like, fill your daggum sentence. Yes. <laughs> fill it out. PSA. <laughs> PSA, because if we're talking about doing the little things, right, um, it, you don't know it, but that's, it's just like going to the booth. It feels like it's just a little thing to do one thing on your list of things that you have in a whole day to do, but just knock it out mm -hmm. because the ramification that it has for us is long-term. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's one it even trickles down to your, your wards, how you draw your ward yep. line and how you draw your school board and your wards for the school board and city council. Resources. Yes, yes. And so it's easy to sort of dismiss that as something that is not important. And, you know, I don't want the government to know who I am or where I am, yes. what's going on. This is the absolute, that's the absolute wrong thing to think in this situation. Uh, and so everybody who, who can get counted should be counted. And, and yeah. I hope the process will be clean um, and without sort of any, any issue going forward. Yeah. So I guess we can go into the what, so what? So, oh yeah. So we, at the end of every podcast, we end with so what, now what? So kind of like, so what, why was this conversation important? And kind of, we love to give like a little, like now what, you know, here's what to take from this conversation. Mm -hmm. You go from here. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I will. Um, so my, so what would be is that I just, Jay hit on in the beginning and it really stuck with me is that white people have the privilege of being surprised about race and racism. It's a real thing, but we live very segregated still. And so my now what would be to keep talking about it and be aware of it as a white person and acknowledge the privilege that we have, because you are right. I did experience that in my circles where white people were very shocked, very shocked. Mm -hmm. I honestly, I'm always honest I was shocked too I was, and so that's why and I'm very aware that it's privileged to be shocked so I I would you know challenge my white listeners is to you know sit in that and understand what your privilege is and then talk about your privilege with someone else that may not understand white privilege yeah absolutely all right you want me to go next Jay or do you want to go uh you know I can go I mean I think so what so what this is a, is a great conversation and it's been uh, an absolute joy to be able to talk about it with you guys and uh, now what is, you know, what Christina said, I mean, this is on both black and white folks to sort of take uh, this to uh, their friends, their family, their neighbors, their coworkers, uh, to have those uncomfortable conversations, to point out these sort of issues to folks, you know, if someone makes an offhand joke, correct them and say, you know what, that's not okay, because this is what these folks are going through. Or if uh, someone is surprised, say, well, you know what, maybe you want to take a step back and, and look at it through, through their angle. There. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us as community members if we want to build a stronger community going forward instead of regressing to our, you know, our natural means, which is to self-segregate, you know, take that extra step, be a little bit more intense and, and purposeful about what you're doing and how you're going to have these conversations and, and make people you know, understand. And I think part of what speech was able to accomplish is it was able to sort of rip off a Band-Aid because I think mm -hmm. you know, sort of patching over these differences and, and let's you know, start to weave some stitches through. So that not only do we understand where we've been, figure out where we are now, but where we want to go and how do we create an atmosphere and environment that's going to allow people to, to flourish and to um, celebrate their, their greatness and celebrate the differences too. Because while we are humans and we're all 99.5% the same, there is that 0.05% of difference, but that's what makes us special and unique. And every part of that difference is valuable. Mm -hmm. So learn from what we're talking about and keep the conversation going because it's never a, a 
book that you finish. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, this struggle between black and white Virginia has been going for 400 years and it's not going to be solved overnight, but it's going to be a long-term investment so that our children grow up and they understand what's happening and how they can be a better part uh, of our future. Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, me too. Why do I have to go after you? Jen? Yeah, right. <laughs> Why? I should have just started talking. No, no. Good, go ahead. <laughs> So uh, my so what would be is that so what we know that we have differences, like we all walk into rooms, into spaces, and we recognize our differences and we understand or we know, at least I'd like to think after this conversation is that so what we know that there are things that have historically kept us divided and acknowledge those differences in some very real, heavily consequent consequence type ways. But now what would be, I would challenge people to figure out truly what the greater good is closer to history mm-hmm. in the sense of, oh, you kind of mentioned the guy saying, you know, like there are a lot of good people in this world and there are a lot of good European American people. There are a lot of good non-white people that are just trying to do good, not recognizing who, what is, who is it really good for? Challenge yourself to get closer to good for all, not just good. And then to, I would say, the now would be to challenge ourselves around our, our conversations about each other and about non-white people too. Because yeah. uh, one of the things that hit here was, hey, like, I think we any you can talk to any non-white or black person and say you'll hear some of the same sort of self-doubt about being being able to show up and being able to be who you are and also being able to be in different spaces and I think we we as non-white population have to have conversations with each other and with ourselves and and recognize that who we could be stopping from being a great advocate for us, Mm -hmm. who we could be holding up from um, being a great community leader, whatever that is, a great teacher from those, I don't know if it's a conversation, but those stereotypes or um, standards that we put on non-white folks. Mm -hmm. So, And and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, we... I think oftentimes we're all consumed with what's immediately in front of us, what is so urgent for our personal needs. I, you know, I tell my, my staff, I said, we all think six inches in front of our face. You don't, you don't take a step back and look up or look side to side or look behind you because there's more to the story always. And so, you know, while folks are always, how do I get some money for my family? How do I put food on the table? Do I have a good job? There's more to it than that. There's more to life. And if we all kind of take a step back and, and give it a really full, uh, you, you know, you'll see where everybody else is coming from, and then you will further inform what your actions will be and the conversations that you'll have. You know, we all become a little bit myopic and a little bit selfish. That that's just human nature. Uh, but it's on us to sort of catch ourselves and say, look, let's let's take a little step back and let's look at how my 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 actions will impact the others. Mm-hmm. I love that. Love well, thank you, Jay. Yeah, we that's a great you. note to end on. Yes, it is. So as always, know that this isn't just a Virginia thing. It's an everybody thing. So it doesn't matter if you are in, what is it, Germany, the UK, yeah. where else are people uh-huh. listening? I can't even think of all the places that there are the little things that you, you can still take a step back yeah. and do great things, as Jay said. So as always, stay open, stay curious, and make it a great day closer to history. Thanks, yeah. Jay. We appreciate Thank you. you.
Ooh, that was a good episode. Yes, it was. Oh, but we would love to give you more. Yes, we would. Like exclusive content, merch, all types of good learning tools. Absolutely. So you can head over to patreon.com slash your neighborhood and check out all our different tiers of giving, or you can just do a one-time donation on Patreon, Cash App, or Venmo at your neighborhood. 